Welcome to the Faith for My Generation podcast, where our vision is to shake and shape a generation with the power of God's Word. We're on one mission, to raise up a generation of powerful believers through the relevant teaching of God's Word. I'm so thankful that you're here today. I'm your host, AJ. Let's get into the episode. Welcome to the Faith for My Generation podcast. I'm your host, AJ, and I'm glad that you're listening here on the podcast and also live streaming over here on TikTok. Glad to have you joining me on TikTok. Uh, if you haven't found me over there and you do use TikTok, come find me, The AJ Bible, and uh, that, that'll be my profile. A lot of the things that I put up on Instagram as well, uh, they go up on there as well. So hey, I'm thankful that you're listening to the Faith for My Generation podcast. I've got a brand new topic for you, and it's actually going to be a two-part episode. I'm going to go ahead and let you know from the beginning that it's a two-part episode. And the title, as you saw, is What to Do When Faith Seems Weak and Victory Lost. What to Do When Faith Seems Weak and Victory Lost. Um, to give credit where credit's due, this is a uh, the structure of this these two episodes, these part one, part two episodes, the structure of this study, this Bible study, comes from God's Plan for Man by Reverend Finus Jennings Dake on page 329. He put together these lists, and uh, in study I saw them, and I kind of fleshed them out and added a lot of scripture to them, and because they're all scriptural points of what it what you need to do to steal your heart, to stay in faith when you're believing for the promises of God to come to pass in your life. And so as you saw the title and as I rehearse it again, what to do when faith seems weak and victory lost. And my, my prayer is this, that as we study the Word of God and as we go through these points, that you would hear and know and believe that when you see a promise of God in His Word, it's for you. You know, the Bible tells us uh, in the book of Romans and the book of Colossians, the Bible tells us that God is not a respecter of persons. God doesn't play favorites. Lots of people play favorites. Sometimes parents have favorite children. Sometimes teachers have pet, uh, teachers' pets. Favorite, favorite students. Uh, sometimes people have favorite employers, have favorite employees. Friends have favorite friends. But God does not play favorites. He doesn't just like spin the roulette wheel and pick and choose. Maybe I'll bless you. Maybe, uh, no, I'm not going to bless you. I'll save you. I won't save you. I'll help you. I won't help you. That's not what God does. God is faithful. He is just. He is holy. He is loving. He is kind. He is merciful. And he has given us his express will through the Bible. He has made his will, his heart, his desires alive, and he's made them known to us through his word. And so here on the Faith for My Generation podcast, we're going to go into a list. It's actually 10 points. So I'm going to shoot to do five points in the first part, five points in the second part. Now, sometimes I can get a little long-winded. Obviously, if you've been listening to the Faith for My Generation podcast for a while, you already know that. But I'm going to do my best to stay on topic and to get through these points. And uh, you know what? If it takes us more than a couple parts, that's no problem. I would rather take time to go through this these scriptures so that we can have our heart and our minds renewed to the truth of God's Word. Well, to begin with, as our main text, I want to go to James chapter 1 and read a couple verses in James chapter 1. James chapter 1, beginning at verse 2, it says this, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into 
various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Now, notice that. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials. You know, that would seem almost counterintuitive. What do you mean, count it all joy? You actually want it, you want me to be joyful when I experience a trial or a test? Uh, in the King James, the, that more archaic language, it says when you fall into divers temptations, meaning many temptations. Now think about that. The Bible is telling us to count it all joy. See, as a Christian, as a believer, when you know who Christ is, what he has done for you in, on the cross, the victory that he has bought by his precious blood, when you enter into a trial, it is simply an opportunity to prove that God is faithful. And I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you in that reality. When you enter into a trial or a testing of your faith, don't allow it to make you downcast. Don't allow it to make you sorrowful. Don't, do not allow the circumstances of what you see with your eyes, hear with your ears, don't allow that to pull your faith down, but stay steadfast believing God. Because a trial, a temptation, a test is just another opportunity for you to see the power of God come to pass in your life. And that, that, that's how you have to see things. Do not see things as, as you're a victim. Uh, Christians cannot have a victim mentality. We have a victor mentality. The Bible tells us that Jesus, He has bought the victory through for us at the cross of Calvary, and through the power of His resurrection, we have been made victorious. But thanks be unto God, 1 Corinthians 15, 57, but thanks be unto God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so the Bible tells us when we enter into trials, when we enter into temptations, that it, when, when Satan tries to attack, when someone comes against us, uh, when, when, there, when there's wicked people that rise up in the land, don't worry about it. Do not worry about it. Count it as an opportunity to see the power of God manifested in your life. Verse 3, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Your faith, when it is tested and when it is put, when it's put in the in the the fire of testing when it's put in the crucible. Think about that jewelry. Right now, I've got uh, my wife gave me this this smartwatch that I use for working out. But so I have some other watches. Like and honestly, I think the, they're stainless steel, so they're not even silver or gold. But maybe you have some silver jewelry or some gold jewelry, silver, gold, precious metals. They put it in a crucible of high high heat, and that crucible will melt down that silver or that gold, melt it down to where it's molten silver, molten gold, like liquid, like, like this water in this cup. And if there's any impurities, they're able to remove those impurities as that, as that silver or gold has become liquid. And that's what takes place. When your faith is tried or tested, it produces a purified faith. It produces patience, or it produces endurance, 
perseverance. You know, you can't just believe one day. You, you, having faith in God isn't just believing for one day. Having faith in God is a lifelong journey. The Bible, Jesus said it over and over again several times in the book of Matthew. He who endures to the end shall be saved. And so faith requires patience. Faith requires perseverance. Faith requires endurance. And so though it may not naturally feel fun to go through a test or a trial, it's good for your faith. Now, I just want to make this clear. Testings and trials and temptations, they take place because we live in a world that is fallen and dead in sin. It's not because God's sitting up in heaven. Oh, I can't wait to tempt and test my children. Actually, the Bible tells us that God does not tempt us. Satan, he is the father of lies. He is 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. We're going to see this in one of these points here, if, if I'm ever going to get started, because I'm already still in the intro. <laughs> All right, those five points aren't looking too... Um, we're, we're going to see what's going to happen. I'm not going to say I can't get to it. <laughs> But I'm still in the intro here. But this is good. We're making a foundational point here. 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 says that Satan is the little g, God of this world. Notice that, little g. He's the God of this world. And he has blinded the minds of people, lest they see the glorious light of the gospel, and it shine on them, and they receive salvation. So we know that Satan, he is the father of lies. He's a murderer from the beginning. John 8, Jesus said he was a murderer from the beginning. He's the father of lies. He's a deceiver. And so Satan uses temptation to deceive. But anytime Satan flashes temptation across your mind, anytime he tries to get you off track, it's just an opportunity for you to prove that the power of God in you is well able to overcome any temptation, any trial, any test. Verse 4, let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect, mature, complete, lacking nothing. See, it's a good thing to be tested. It's a good thing for your faith to be tested because it allows your faith to mature. You know, there's a prayer that I pray. It's in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. I pray it for myself, and I pray it. I'm a pastor at a church, Gospel Tabernacle. If you have been listening, you don't know that. Now you do. And I pray this for the people of my church and for the body of Christ. But 1 Thessalonians 3 tells us that there is a perfecting of our faith. I pray, Lord, let by the teaching of the Word, by the ministry of the Holy Spirit, let my faith, let the people of my church, let the body of Christ in my church, in my state, in this nation, let our faith be perfected. Let it come to a place of maturity. And we see that. Paul talked about that. The book of Hebrews talks about that. That you can, you've got to go from the milk of the Word, First Peter says it, the sincere milk of the Word, and you've got to graduate, mature, to the meat of the Word. And testings and trials and temptations give you the opportunity, the privilege for your faith to be strengthened, to mature, to be perfected. So I want you to think about that. In the testing and trial of our faith, I wrote this out. I'm just going to read it. I think, I think this is the best way to get my thought across. In the testing and trial of our faith, we must not lose hope. 
in spite of what we feel, what we see, what we hear, when our faith seems weak, I didn't say it is, but when our faith seems weak and it looks like the victory is lost, we must hold fast to the promises of God, knowing the victory is sure to come. So what do you do when your faith seems weak and it seems like the victory is lost? The first thing you need to do is this. One, recognize the source of the opposition as being Satan. The first thing you need to do is to recognize that the source of opposition is Satan. The source of all opposition in your growth And your spiritual growth is Satan. It's not God. God wants you to grow in faith. God wants you to receive His promises, His presence, His power. So I know this. I know that if there is some form of opposition against my faith, my believing in the things of God, I know it's not the Lord that is opposing me, that's tempting me, that's testing me, or that a trial's coming against me. I know it's Satan. How do I know that? Well, let's go to the Bible. We, we must make sure everything we believe as Christians is based upon the Word of God. It is our beginning point, it's our ending point, and it's where we stay in all in between. Everything we, mu- we believe must be founded upon the Word of God. Now notice this, John 10.10 10. Missionary evangelist T.L. Osborne, who has inherited heaven of blessed memory, he would say this. He would say that John 10.10 is the entire gospel in one verse. It reads, The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that you may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Jesus makes it plain right here. He said the thief comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Well, who is the thief? It is Satan. John 10, this entire chapter in John 10, Jesus is making this illustration how he is the good shepherd. And he says the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep, which obviously Jesus did at Calvary. He gave his life for the sin for the people, the lost people of the world, for everyone that has ever lived, to, that they may believe on Christ. He died and he shed sinless blood so that anyone that would believe on him would be saved and not perish. If you're listening, whether by way of the live stream or on the podcast, and you've never made Jesus Lord of your life, let me tell you something. Your faith will always seem weak. It will always seem like the victory is lost because you don't have faith, and you don't have faith at the moment in God. You do have the opportunity to believe on God, and your victory is lost unless you believe on Jesus. But when you believe on Jesus, He gives you a power to resurrect your faith, to grow your faith by the power of His Word, and He gives you the victory through him. Notice this though, the thief, Satan, comes to steal and to kill and destroy. If there's any stealing, if there's any killing, if there's any destruction taking place, it's not God. It's Satan. 
I'm going to say that again. If there's any stealing going on, if there's any killing, any destruction going on in your life, it's not God. God's not sitting in heaven who is all love, who's holy, who is righteous, meaning that he rewards or judges according to what we do and what we believe. He, he approaches everyone the same. He gives grace to the humble. He's not just blasting people, you know, killing people, destroying people because he's some maniac. No, that's something that religion has fantasized. The reality is that there is a devil. Some people think, oh, you believe in the spirit world? Absolutely. Absolutely. And there is a devil. And he comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. So what do you do when faith seems weak and victory loss? The first thing you do is you recognize that the source of testing and temptation and attack and opposition is Satan. He is your enemy. As a Christian, he is your enemy. He is your enemy. Now, see, I'm looking here, as I mentioned on the, on the podcast channel, those listening on the podcast, I'm doing a TikTok live stream. But I see right here, someone just wrote in the comments, Carousel, uh, that you keep falling in temptation and you're not consistent with prayer. And it's hard to talk to anyone about it. I don't want you to, I don't want you to feel that you're isolated. I want you to know that whether you know it or not, there are believers being led by the Spirit to, to pray for you. You know, there, that the, when the Spirit of the Lord moves in the hearts of believers, that we can pray for people that we don't even know for us, know about or know. So I want you to know this, Carousel, that people, there's people, Christians, praying for you. You know, also in the book of Hebrews, it says that Jesus is the high priest of our confession, and he's praying for you consistently. Jesus didn't just do work on the earth at the cross, but he was resurrected and he's seated at the right hand of the Father as our high priest. And he ever makes intercession or he prays for Christians. He's praying for you. And so I want to encourage you to continue to fight the good fight of faith. 1 Timothy 6, 12 tells us to fight the good fight of faith. In fact, I'm going to go ahead and read that for you, Carousel. This one's for you. I'm thankful that you're watching. It says, fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, whereunto you are called and have professed a good profession, or you believed in Christ before many witnesses. So stay steadfast. Keep watching this live stream. I'm going to take you through some other points because when you feel like, you know what, I don't know if I can be consistent, I want you to know that you can be be consistent with your walk with Christ Jesus. He is empowering you to be consistent. I want to encourage you, okay? Jesus Christ, he's walking beside you. He strengthens you. He's equipping you. But notice this. The only reason there's temptation, trial, or testing is because there is a devil. And he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I've already alluded to this in the introduction, but in John 8, 44, Jesus said this. He's talking to the Pharisees and these Sadducees and these wicked religious rulers. And he says, you know what? You're of the father, you're devil. And the lust of your father, you do. Notice, he, Satan, was a murderer from the beginning. And he doesn't live in truth because there's no truth in him. And when he speaks, it's a lie. He speaks of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. Satan is a liar, he's a murderer, and he's looking for people to deceive, and he's looking for things and people to steal and to kill and destroy. Now notice this, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. 
First Peter chapter five, verse eight says, the Bible says, be sober, or in other words, be vigilant, be watchful, like a guard, like an armed sentry, like a soldier in the midnight hour. He's standing at the gate watching. If you've got guys that are protecting the, the, the gate of the city, the last thing you want to do, for them to do is fall asleep. Because if they fall asleep, then the enemy can come in. So the Bible says, be sober, be awake, be watchful, control yourself. You know, we live in a world, in, an, in a culture right now, where Satan is deceiving people to make them think they can't control themselves. I want to tell you something. As a Christian, the Holy Spirit indwells in you. And the fruit of the Holy Spirit, Galatians 5, tells us that we bear fruit. Just like an apple tree will produce apples. I've got some tomato plants on my patio. They have blooms, and so I know tomatoes are coming. In fact, they already have a few tomatoes hanging on the vine. And what produces the tomatoes on those vines? The life, the water, the nutrients in the soil that the roots soak up, and that life from the roots flows up through the vine and out the branches, this is a tomato plant, so out the little stigs, twigs, I don't know, the branches of the tomato plant, and off of it produces a bud, and then the bud becomes a tomato. Well, it's just, it's no different than with you as a Christian. The Holy Spirit lives in you. When you believe on Jesus, the Holy Spirit indwells in you. And the Bible tells us that we produce fruit, just like a fruit tree produces fruit. And one of those fruits is self-control. And we live in a world and in a culture that says that we can't control what we do. And that's a lie of the devil. If I can't control what I do, who can? No one can come make me do something. No one's going to make you do something. You're, you, you can choose whether to keep scrolling on TikTok. You can choose whether you push play on the, on the podcast when you see a new episode come out. It's your choice. It's your choice. April, I'm praying for you. I'm believing that the healing power of God's touching your body right now. In Jesus' name, Jesus is a healer. And I believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He took stripes on his back for your healing. And so I say in Jesus' name, the healing power is touching your body. I believe you're being made strong and weakness is leaving your body in Jesus' name. But you can, you can control yourself. You can have self-control because one of the fruit of the spirits is self-control. Now notice this. Be sober. Have some self-control. You're going to have to control yourself. You're going to have to be vigilant, watchful. Why? All right. It took me about five minutes to get through the first th four words of that verse. But why should we be vigilant? Why should we have self-control, be sober, be aware, be watchful? Because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. If you're watching right now, go ahead and put a, put a lion emoji in the comment section for me. Because that's a representation of what Satan is trying to come off as. Notice, we serve Jesus, who is the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's the real lion. There you go, Carousel. <laughs> He's the real lion. Satan is a faker, an imposter. 
And he's walking around like a lion, seeking whom he may devour. Notice that. Satan can't just walk up in your business. He can't just show up in your day and take control. Not if you're a Christian. Not if you're a child of God. He can't just hop in your life and and, and make you do things. That's not how it works. Not if you're a believer. Not if you're a Christian. The power of God's in you. The Spirit of God's in you. And Satan is waiting for an opportunity to devour, seeking whom he may devour. Satan's looking for you to drop your shield of faith. Ephesians 6 tells us about the armor of God. And he is looking, Satan is watching to see if you're going to drop your shield of faith. Because when you drop your shield of faith, then he can start launching the arrows of fiery darts, temptations and trials and testings so that he can take you out. But you keep up your shield of faith. But the Bible says when you keep up your shield of faith, it can quench every fiery dart that Satan aims at you. So notice that. Satan, he's looking for someone to take out. We already know he steals, he kills, he destroys. We know he is the source of opposition. Satan is looking to attack. He's looking to come against. As I mentioned before in this intro, he's the God of this world. Little g. And only for a time, when Adam and Eve, when they committed sin, it was high treason against God, and they brought allowed sin to come into the earth. They believed the lie of the devil, and sin came into the earth. And it was at that point Satan got authority to rule and reign. He abdicated. He stole that authority through deception so that he could rule and reign in the earth for a time. But his time is coming to an end. Jesus is coming back, and when he does, he will cancel the devil. You know, you hear a lot about cancel culture. Jesus is going to cancel the devil, plain and simple. But for right now, he is the little g, little g, God of this world, and he's constantly trying to deceive people. 2 Corinthians 4 4 says that he has blinded the minds of them which do not believe. Because he he keeps their eyes of their mind blinded. He doesn't want them to see the light of the gospel, who is the image of God, which would shine on them and lead them to salvation. Now, that's point one. Point two, what to do when faith seems weak and victory lost? Number two, be sure that the promises of God that you're believing for. So when you see something in God's Word and you begin to pray and you begin to believe and receive that, for instance, healing, the Bible shows that it's God's will to heal. The Bible tells us that Jesus Christ paid for our healing with stripes on His back. 1 Peter 2.24, by His stripes we were healed. Jesus, I say it this way, Jesus made a pit stop at the whipping post so that He could take stripes on His back before he went to the cross to pay for our sins. Because salvation means nothing missing, nothing broken. Jesus, when he purchased salvation, he purchased total salvation for us. Spirit, soul, and body. So let's talk about healing. You believe in God for healing in your body. 
Well, we know that it's God's will to heal from Scripture. We can see so many promises. Isaiah 53, 5 tells us that by his stripes we are healed. Matthew chapter 8, verse 16 and 17, Jesus said that when he heals all these people, multitudes of people, Jesus says, in fact, let me read it. This is going to bless someone that's listening. Matthew chapter 8, this will be a good example. Shout out to Danette. Thankful that you're listening. Matthew chapter 8. Verse 16, when the evening had come, they brought unto him, Jesus, many who were demon-possessed. Look, we've already talked about the devil. There's demons in the earth. And sometimes people are encountering things because they're possessed by devils. But Jesus breaks demonic possession. You You don't have to be fearful of demons or devils. Satan, he is nothing compared to Christ Jesus. The book of Colossians says that he made a mockery of Satan. Colossians 1.14, I believe it is. He made an open show, a spectacle of Satan. Jesus whooped his hiney. We're keeping it G-rated here, y'all, on the Faith for My Generation podcast. We're keeping it G-rated. He whooped his hiney. And so Satan is no match for the power of Jesus. Notice, They brought unto him many who were demon-possessed, and he cast out the spirits with a word. And he healed all who were sick, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet in Isaiah 53. He himself took our infirmities, and he bore our sicknesses. Now, does Jesus, did Jesus love these people in this town more than he loves you? No, of course not. Jesus loves everybody. Jesus loves the little children of the world. As the song says, he loves you, everyone, red, yellow, black, and white. They're all precious in his sight. He loves everybody. In Jesus, he healed those people because it's his will to heal. But you can't find one time in the Gospels where someone comes to Jesus and asks for healing and Jesus doesn't do it. He always, he always heals. Jesus is a healer. He's a healer. And so think about that. It, let's say we're standing on a promise for healing, healing in our body, physical healing. Well, we know opposition to healing, sickness and illness, that comes from Satan. In fact, the Bible tells us, Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. So that means when sin came into the earth, sickness came with it. Now, that does not mean if you're sick, you're automatically in sin. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is the earth that we're living in right now is under the curse of sin and will be under the curse of sin until Christ returns and restores all things, which we can see in the book of Revelation. But right now there is sickness and disease and illness and viruses and brokenness and cancers in the earth because sin entered into the earth and brought with it death. The wages of sin is death. What is the final result of illness or disease? It's death. But Jesus, he came to set people free from the curse of sin and the consequences of sin. So we know that sickness and illness and disease, that's opposition to healing. Again, we're using bodily healing. As an example for this. So what to do when your faith seems weak and victory lost? 
Number two, make sure that the promise that you're standing on, what you're believing God for, is actually covered in the Bible. Well, we can see here that healing's covered. Now, as a general rule of of thumb, Psalms 119.130 says this, The entrance of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. Psalms 119.30, it's short and sweet. I'll read it again. Glad to have you on, Tracy Bell. Awesome that you got went to church. That's great. The entrance of your words gives light. It gives under t- understanding to the simple. The word of God is like a flashlight. Imagine you're in a room that's pitch black. Okay? You can't see, you can't even see your hand in front of your face. Maybe you've been in that kind of darkness. I've been several times. It's, sometimes it's hard for it to actually be that dark. But like if you go, what is it, spelunking in these caves, but you can go some places where or a huge, massive room that and all the lights are off and you're like in the center of the room. Imagine it's so dark you can't see your hand in front of your face. And then you flip on the light on your cell phone. You can see. The word of God's like a flashlight. When you open up the Word, when you open up your Bible, light's coming into your heart. You can see clearly now. And it gives understanding to the simple. Now look, I know that y'all, you that are listening, you that are watching, I'm sure you're much smarter than me. I don't say that, I don't say that you know, as a joke. I'm sure you're absolutely much smarter than me. I consider myself a simple person. So I want understanding. I like to keep things simple. I like simple, a simple approach to life in general. And the Bible will give me understanding. The Bible will give me understanding on anything in life. There is an answer to your question, and it's in the Bible. The Bible has taught me how to be a, a good son, a good man, a good husband, a good father. Uh, uh, now he's teaching me how to be a good pastor. Teach me how to be a good member of a church, how to be a good leader. The Bible will show you how to live. The Bible will instruct you. The Word of God will give you understanding. And that's why it's important. I want to encourage you. If you don't have, if you don't have a plan to read your Bible, you need to get a plan to read your Bible. You know, just about all of us that are listening and watching, you got smartphones. You can download a Bible app, and in the Bible app, you can open up a Bible plan that will take you through the Bible. It, what is it? Just It's three chapters. If you read three chapters a day, you'll read your entire Bible in one year. That's a great goal. That's an excellent goal. There's a lot of Christians who really genuinely love Jesus, but they've never read their Bible all the way through. And I'm not trying to condemn you if that's you, but what I'm saying is, hey, little kick in the pants here. You want to know more about who you love and serve? Open up his book. Read it. Because it gives us understanding. Psalms 119.105, going along with that flashlight example, the word, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. See, God's word reveals the truth to my heart that I might be filled with his knowledge, knowing that knowing what he knows, which empowers me to believe his will for my life. Let me read that again. God's word reveals his truth to my heart so that I can be filled with his knowledge, knowing what he knows. Think about that. When you study God's word, 
you know what God knows. That's powerful. That's so awesome. When you study God's word, you know what he knows. You're getting God-level wisdom when you're reading his word. That's awesome, Joseph. I'm, a, I'm actually in the book of Exodus myself. I'm j- I just finished Exodus 13, so they're coming out of Egypt. That's awesome, man. Great for you. Awesome. When you read the word of God, you get God-level wisdom. And it empowers you to believe his will for your life. What's the will of God? Some people, look, there are very few areas of life where the, God's will is not point blank written out. I'll give you an example. The Bible, you're not going to open up your Bible and find the name and address of the person you're supposed to marry. Lord, who am I, who am I supposed to marry? Oh, it's Susie on Jones Street. Okay, I'll call her up today. You're not going to find that information. What will you find? You'll find how to be a good spouse. You'll find that you're not to be unequally yoked with an unbeliever, which means the person you may think's cute, the gym crush you may have, let's find out if they actually believe in Jesus before we pursue anything else. Amen? <laughs> the person you're sitting beside in class, the person you're working with, do they know Jesus? And let me tell you something, we don't evangelistically date. You're not going to French kiss people into the kingdom. Amen. Can I get an amen in the comment section? Those listening on the podcast, can I get an amen? No, we want people to be saved, but we're not going to date them into heaven. It doesn't work that way. In fact, what happens is you get pulled down. More, from my experience of people that I love and care for, that's generally what happens. They get pulled down, not closer to God. So you're not going to find the name and address of the person you're supposed to marry. But the Bible will teach you how to be a good spouse. The Bible will teach you how to love the person that you're to be committed and covenant with for the rest of your life. The Bible won't show you, where should I work, Lord? Oh, you should work at ACI Technologies in Chicago. You won't find that. But the Bible will tell you that do everything as unto the Lord. The Bible will tell you how to be a good employer or a good employee. The Bible will tell you that you are not to steal from your employer. So when you show up to work, actually work. There's so many things. The overwhelming majority of the questions we have in life are answered point blank in the Word of God. Now, for the few instances where it's very personal, we have the Holy Spirit who will lead us and guide us. But He moves on the foundation of the Word of God. So you have to be certain that when you're believing God, when you're standing in faith, is what you're asking God for something He actually has promised in His Word. Right? Don't it's not we're not we're not going before the Lord just with wild, whimsical ideas. We've got scripture and verse. You know, the book of Isaiah, I saw, I think it was Tracy said that she's reading the book of Isaiah. The book of Isaiah, the Spirit of the Lord speaks through the prophet Isaiah, and God says through Isaiah, bring to my remembrance, come, reason with me, and bring to my remembrance my word. In other words, bring my word back to me. Like a lawyer in a courtroom, when a lawyer walks before a judge, the lawyer doesn't say, well, judge, I think you should let my my uh, the defendant that I'm defending, I think you should just let him off scot-free. 
you know, it was hard to miss, I guess, all the Johnny Depp, Amber Heard stuff. And though all these memes of, of the lawyers that were re- representing Amber Heard are hilarious, but nonetheless, they, they at least made an attempt, right? No lawyer goes in the court and just like, ah, judge, will you please let him off just because I feel like it? No, they, they bring evidence. They say, well, based on these previous statutes, based on these previous laws, this is why we believe the defendant is right or the plaintiff is right. And the book of Isaiah tells us that we are to bring the word of God before his remembrance. It's not because God's forgetful. He doesn't forget. It's because we believe the word of God. It's good seeing you, Carousel. God bless you. I'm praying for you. It's because we must bring the word of God before the Lord for our benefit. We know where our heart stands. When we bring the word of the Lord before him in prayer... Think about it practically. It's causing us to think about His Word. It's causing us to meditate on His Word. And the Bible tells us that faith comes by hearing and hearing the Word of God. So I want to encourage you. What are you believing God for? Again, going with that idea of bodily healing. Let's do another example. A lot of people deal with anxiety, depression, with worry, with fear. Okay? Let's, let's, Let's take it. Scripture verse. And instead of me just kind of trying to go at it at memory. Isaiah 26, verse 3. This is a prayer. This is a verse that I pray all the time. Isaiah 26, verse 3. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever. Trust in the Lord forever, for in Jehovah the Lord is everlasting strength. Now notice this first verse, verse 3. You will keep him in perfect peace. Who? Who does God keep in perfect peace? Whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. So if I would go before the Lord and say, Lord, I thank you that I live in peace. I thank you that my mind's not racing. I'm not anxious. I don't suffer from anxiety, from worry. Regardless of how I feel or whether my mind's racing or not, I'm praying the Word of God. Lord, I believe in Jesus' name that I live in peace. I believe in Jesus' name that you're keeping me in peace. I'm choosing to think on you because He trusts in you, whose mind is stayed on you. You have a choice of what you think. You can only think one thought at a time. Seriously, think one thought at a time. So you, when, when Satan's flashing thoughts, craziness across your mind, I'm not going to think on that. I'm going to think on what's good. Philippians 4.8, think on what's pure and true and holy and just and righteous and beautiful of a good report. On these things, think. Philippians 4.8. So I, again, with this example, I'm believing that I can live in peace, that I'm not going to suffer from depression, anxiety, or fear. Lord, your word says, you've not given me a spirit of fear but a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind, 2 Timothy 1.7. So in Jesus' name, Lord, I believe that I don't have a spirit of fear, that I have a spirit of courage. Joshua 1.9 says, Be of good courage. Lord, I am of good courage because you've given me courage. I don't have a spirit of fear. I have a spirit of power, love, and my mind is sound. 
I think on your truth, Lord, in Jesus' name. And you begin to do that. You're rehearsing the word of God. And what is that doing? It's showing that God has promised you peace. Peace is possible. Peace is your portion. And when you get a revelation of what God has promised, it's like a flashlight that's flipped on. Now, point number three. What to do when faith seems weak and victory lost? Be sure that you're not living in open or secret sin. Let's get real here. Let's just get plain and simple with what the Bible says. If you're playing with sin, flirting with sin, get it out of your life. It's not worth it. Sin will take you farther than you want to go. It will make you stay longer than you want to stay. And it will charge you a price far more than you want to pay. 1 John 1 John 1.7 says this, But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. Verse 8, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Verse 9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, we can't allow sin to live in our life. Some people want to make sin a pet. (laughs) It's a terrible pet. The Bible says this, Psalms 90, verse 8, it says this, You have set our iniquities before us, our secret sins, in the light of your countenance. See, this idea that sin is secret, isn't that's a lie anyway. That, that's something that Satan would, would make, try to make you think. Sin's not secret anyway. Oh, maybe, maybe the person beside you doesn't know about it. Uh, maybe your parents don't know about it. Maybe your spouse doesn't know about, know about it. Your friends don't know about it. Maybe you think you're getting away without people knowing about it. But the reality is God sees all and He knows all. And so don't play with sin. Don't try to conceal sin. In fact, the Bible tells us that the person who tries to conceal sin, that they will not prosper. That what they try to do, when they try to hide sin... It will not bless them. It won't benefit them. They will not prosper in what they do. In fact, if I can find that real quick. It's in the book of Proverbs. It says that sin that is concealed, when you try to conceal sin, whatever you do will not prosper. So I, I, I can't hide something or pretend to hide something and pretend that I'm going to get something from God. When faith seems weak or victory lost, you have to step back and examine yourself. First and Second Corinthians both say that, that we are to examine ourselves. Is there something in me, Lord? Is there something in me that's not right? Have humility. The Bible tells us in book of Proverbs several times that before honor, Humility comes before honor. You want to receive honor from God? You want to be honorable before the Lord? Humble yourself, and He'll give you grace. And so it requires you to humble yourself and say, You know what, Lord? 
I realize that what I'm believing you for, it's not come to pass yet in my life, but I know it's your promise. So is there something that I'm doing that's stopping this from coming to pass in my life? Don't don't be at the point where, well, it hadn't come to pass in my life yet, uh, so it must be something that God's doing. God doesn't want it. No, He desires it. He wants it. But is there something that's in my life that's withholding that from coming to pass in my life? Is there something that I'm doing? Am I pretending? Am I playing with sin? Am I pretending to hide something and, and think that it's not going to bring destruction? There's, there's a couple examples. In the book of Joshua, Joshua chapter 7, when Joshua is leading, uh, Joseph, you mentioned we were talking, reading through Exodus. Of course, we'll get to the point where they finally get to the promised land, right? And Joshua, the general, he leads Israel into the promised land. And they defeat Jericho, right? M- many of you probably know the story that are listening and watching, the story of Jericho. Walls so large they could have chariot races, seven chariots wide, and race around Jericho. So they defeat the city of Jericho supernaturally. They shout out on day seven, walking around the wall seven times. They shout out with this triumphant shout of victory, blow the horns. The walls fall in on themselves. They go in and take the city. Then they go to another small city, Ai, literally spelled Ai. In Joshua chapter seven, you can read the story. They go before this small city. It's real small. And they lose the battle. They turn tail and run. And actually, the first time since they leave Egypt, men are killed in battle. Now, Joshua falls down before the Lord. And he, in fact, I just don't want to try to do it off memory. It's too good for me to to just mess up by memory. Joshua chapter 7, verse 6. They, they suffer defeat, and this is what happened. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell on the, to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord. Until evening, he and the elders of Israel, and they put dust on their face. Verse 7, And Joshua said, Alas, Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites, to destroy us? Oh, that we had been content and dwelt on the other side of Jordan. Oh, Lord, what shall I say when Israel turns its back before its enemies? Joshua, he's, he's, he's sad. He's depressed. They've lost this battle. And what does Joshua do when victory seems weak, when faith seems weak and victory lost? Joshua, for a moment, he thinks, he, he thinks it's not God's will for them to take Ai. Why, why'd you let us have this loss of battle, Lord? Why'd you let us lose this battle? I thought you wanted us to have the promised land. He begins to blame God. And what does God say lovingly, graciously, but corrects and rebukes? What does he say? Verse 10, so the Lord said to Joshua, get up. Why do you lie on your face? Israel has sinned. And they have also transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them. For they have taken some of the accursed things and have both stolen and deceived. And they've also put it among their own stuff. See, God told Israel, when you take Jericho, all the treasure from that city, you put it in the house of the Lord. You put it in the tabernacle for the worship and the place of worship, the tabernacle, which would eventually be in the temple that Solomon would build. Now, 
when Joshua's lying with his face in the ground, he's thinking, we lost this battle. It must be God's will. You know, a lot of people do that. The moment they experience opposition, they think it's God's will. But we've already said that the, the source of opposition is Satan. What does God say to Joshua? Joshua, get up off your face. Get up out of the dirt, son. The reason you lost the battle is because there's sin in the camp. There's sin in Israel. And he and, and the Lord tells Joshua how to find the man that sinned. And what happened is there's a man, Achan, who stole what was God's, this treasure of Jericho. He took it for himself and hid it. He thought it was hidden, but God saw it. And it brought defeat to Israel in this battle. Now, when Joshua finds the man and he's punished unto death, and the thing that he stole is given back to the treasure of God, they go back to battle, and they quickly win a battle against that small city Ai. But the reason they lost to begin with was not because it was God's will. It was because they had sin in the camp. They had, this man thought he had something hidden from God. Jonah. Right? It's a pretty fishy story. Jonah thinks he's going to run from God. He's, he buys a ticket on this boat in Joppa, headed the complete opposite direction of Nineveh. You know the story. Jonah and the Big Fish. VeggieTales movie. They made a, Some of you may not have ever seen VeggieTales. You need to go watch the VeggieTales movie, the Jonah story, the Jonah movie. So he's on this boat. He's going the opposite direction he's supposed to go to. Nineveh, he's going the complete opposite direction. Huge storm comes up. The boat's about to be destroyed. The people on the boat find out, you know what? This isn't a normal storm. This is a storm from, from God. Why is this happening? Well, they cast lots. It falls on Jonah. And Jonah says, okay, guys, I'm running from God. Sorry. And they're like, why'd you do this? And Jonah says, the reason this storm's come is because I have sinned. Jump over into the New Testament, Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira. They think that they're going to come off looking real good. They sell some land, and instead of what they're going to do is sell some land, make the money. It's their money. They can do whatever they want with it, but they're going to take a portion of it and give it to the church and say it's all the money they got. They conceived and created this lie to make themselves look real good and holy before the Christians. But the problem is they weren't lying to people. They were lying to God. And the Bible says, Peter says, why are you lying to the Holy Spirit? Why are you lying to someone who can see the truth? See, there is no such thing as hidden sin. And so allow the Holy Spirit to convict, to reveal anything in your heart. Is there something in my... Lord, I pray this so much, y'all. I pray this all the time. Lord, if there's anything in me that's not like Jesus, I don't want it there. I don't want it in my life. Help me to be free from it. And He will. He will. Now, what do you do when faith seems weak? And victory lost. Number four, you got to be sure there is no doubt or unbelief. Do not permit doubt or unbelief in your life. Do not permit doubt or unbelief 
in your life. Romans chapter 4, verse 20. Romans chapter 4, verse 20. It says this. That this is a powerful, powerful scriptures here concerning the life of Abraham and faith. Romans chapter 4, verse 20. Abraham did not waver at the promise of God. Notice that. He gets a promise. What's Abraham's promise? You're going to have a son. But at this point, Abraham's 99 years old. His wife is 89, going on 90. And Abraham refused to doubt. He said he did not waver. He wasn't going to allow himself to shift back and forth between faith and doubt, believing and not believing. He did not waver. He wasn't moved at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God, being fully persuaded, fully convinced that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. See, Abraham, instead of allowing doubt to come in his heart, he was strengthened in his faith. You've got to make a point. Even though it may feel like your faith is weak and it may seem like victory is lost, your faith isn't weak and victory is not lost. You refuse to allow doubt or unbelief to creep in. You have to get to a point where I'm going to believe God no matter what I see. No matter what I hear, no matter what anyone tells me, regardless of the opinions of man, regardless of anyone that's around me, I refuse to doubt. I'm going to believe God, and I'm going to, I'm going to believe His promises. I'm going to receive what God has promised me. And that's what Abraham did. Abraham said he, would, he refused. He did not waver at the promise of God. 99-year-old men don't have sons. But God told Abraham he would. So Abraham chose to believe God. Not the inability of his flesh. Because old men don't have sons. But Abraham did not consider himself just an old man. He considered himself someone that had a promise of God. And he refused to doubt. Rather, he was strengthened in faith, knowing that God... Notice, Abraham wasn't saying, well, I know I can do it. I can do it. No, he said, I know God can do it. I'm simply going to believe. I'm simply going to believe that what God has promised, he'll do it. And what he's promised, he's able to perform. Notice that. He was able to perform. He had promised and he was able to perform. Abraham says, God's promised me I'm going to have a son and I know he can do it. 1 Thessalonians 5.24 says, faithful is he that has called you who also will do it. You got to refuse. You must refuse to allow doubt or unbelief enter into your heart. What do you do when faith seems weak and victory lost? You've got to have a desire in your heart to ask God. You know, some, some people miss out on that. Prayer is not just a religious action. Prayer is not just like a, a religious formality. Prayer isn't just like a practice that you go through. 
You've got to have desire attached to your prayer, to your faith. When you go before the Lord, you've actually got to want what you're asking God of. Mark eleven twenty four says this, Jesus, he says this, Therefore I say unto you, what things soever you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them and you'll have them. You have to, be, you have, to have a desire of what you're asking God for. There is, there's an ingredient in faith, which is desire. There's several things that I guess you could say are ingredients to faith. Trust in God, a knowledge of God's Word. You can only believe God for what you know. If you don't know God's Word, you can't have faith in it. So knowledge limits faith. Uh, so we've got to know the Word of God, the promises of God. You've got to trust in God. You've got to believe that God can do what He says He can do. you also got to want it. You have to desire it. You've got to have a desire. You know what? God's promised this, and if He's promised it, and He's made it available by the blood of Jesus, I want it in my life. If it was important enough for God to reveal it to me through His Word and make it available to me through Christ Jesus, then I want it in my life. You know, uh, I'm going to finish up here tonight. Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10 Verse 51, this, this is interesting. There's a blind man, blind Bartimaeus. He hears about Jesus. It's, it's, a, it's, a, great, it's a great story of the power of Jesus, but also of persi- persistence and perseverance in faith. So blind Bartimaeus, he hears that Jesus is coming by, and he begins to cry out, Son of David, have mercy on me. And the people around blind Bartimaeus are like, Shut up, Bartimaeus. Don't don't bother Jesus. Just let him. He's going from one town to another. Let's just all cheer him on and look at him. But but don't don't stop him. Don't yell at him. Just be quiet. Just be quiet. And when the people tried to get blind Bartimaeus to shut up, the Bible says that blind Bartimaeus cried out all the more. When people try to mock you, make fun of you, tell you to quit praying, tell you to quit believing, tell you to quit confessing the word, studying God's word, you know what? Keep on keeping on. Keep having faith in God. Keep crying out. Keep praying. Keep confessing the Word. Keep studying God's Word. Keep believing God's Word. And that's what he did. And so Jesus is coming by, it says, verse 50, And throwing aside his garment, he arose and came to Jesus. Verse 51, So Jesus answered and said to him, a blind man. This is what Jesus says to a blind man, blind Bartimaeus. He's blind. It's apparent that he's blind. He's wearing a coat that says he's a beggar, but also he's blind. He can't see. He stumbled to Jesus. Jesus asked them, asked this man, what do you want me to do for you? Jesus could see that he was blind, but Jesus was seeing where this man's faith was. What do you want me to do for you? Verse 52, or excuse me, verse 51, the blind man said to him, Rabboni, meaning teacher, that I may receive my sight. I want to see Jesus. Verse 52, then Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you whole. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus on the road. You have to have a desire when you come to God to actually receive what God's made available. You've got, Jesus is saying to you, he's saying to me, what do you want? 
Mark 11, 24. Whatever things you desire, the things that you desire of God, when you pray, believe you receive them and you'll have them. What do you do when faith seems weak and victory lost? Make sure that you have an impassioned, fiery, fervent desire to see God's will come to pass in your life. A desire that is above all of the desires. I want the will of God. I want His promise to come to pass in my life. And the Bible says that in Matthew 7. You've got to ask, seek, and knock. Those are all actions. I have to ask, and it will be given unto me. I have to seek, and I will find. I have to knock, and then the doors open. You have to have a desire attached to your faith. Hey, I'm so thankful that you join me on the Faith for My Generation podcast. Join me next week for part two of what to do when faith seems weak and victory loss. I'm so thankful that you listened. And remember, we are the faithful. We'll see you next time. Thanks so much for joining me for this episode of the Faith for My Generation podcast. Remember, every Monday I've got a brand new wake-up call for you, and every Thursday I've got a brand new episode right here on Faith for My Generation podcast. And remember, we are the faithful.